I really, really love working with directors and like kind of figuring out what their creative vision is and like translating that to numbers, but like the spreadsheets and the numbers and all that, that is all a means to an end, right? Like we want to tell stories as filmmakers and that's the same even when you're a producer. Welcome to Refilmery. We are a film and photography production company in New York, and each week we turn the mic on our fellow creatives and the brand leaders that we produce films for to find out why they make their films and also how they use storytelling to reach their audiences. My name is David Joshua Ford, and I'm the executive director of Refilmery. Today I'm speaking with Lauren Brady, who is an independent film producer. She has a range of experience producing shorts, commercials, corporates, music videos, and documentaries, and she's currently a producer at Vox Creative. We talk about the pathway of her career from directing at film school to producing branded content, putting the perfect team together, and her process of writing. We met uh, probably, what, four years ago now? as part of Lonely Leap you were producing back then. And I know you've also directed some things. Can you just fill me in on some of your your journey from what you started directing and then what you're producing now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, was it four years ago? Four years ago that we met. Time moves on, yeah. Gosh, okay, so we met, I was working at uh, a boutique production company called Lonely Leap. And um, I was head of production there. Uh, We created doc-style corporate films and commercial films. And it was a great company. I was there for, I guess, about two years. I was hired to open the New York office. Um, and they had started in London. And so I was kind of brought on to kind of help build and grow uh, New York. And I think we met around the time when we were like flush with edits and needed editors. So we called upon, I think we had you and like two or three other Davids in at the same time. It was a whole collection. Of, <laughs> I remember the, um, the rap party though, like, yeah, three Davids there. <laughs> so many Davids. We just yeah. collected Davids. Um, but prior to Lonely Leap, um, I guess I can take a little farther back. Um, I went to film school at NYU. That's what originally brought me to New York. Yeah and uh, studied film and TV production. So I was very heavily into production, uh, like immediately when I when I came out here from high school. And I started to really focus on producing. I, really, I started when I was a freshman. Because mm-hmm. um, when you go to NYU, you can kind of pick a track to go on. Um, freshman year, everybody kind of takes all the same sorts of classes. But then um, you can kind of veer off and specialize. So a lot of my friends were kind of focusing, you know, in their sophomore, junior, senior year on uh, sound or on being DPs. Uh, I wanted to focus on directing and producing. So a lot of my directing, um, a lot of my producing actually started because I was, I just needed a producer for the projects I was directing. So, you know, you're doing a lot of your own uh, legwork and getting a project up off the ground as a student director yeah. um so i it was kind of like out of necessity that i started when i was in film school so what so why have you then gone into producing as a more full-time career than the directing what is it about producing that that you really like i would say that i am in terms of my interests equally interested in both directing and producing producing though generally in our industry there's a lot more of a need for it like there are a lot of like amazing directors who have a voice and are out there right now or up and coming directors who want to be doing more and more stuff. Um, 
Unfortunately, there's not as much of a need for directors. Like they're just, it's the market is so saturated. There really is a need for producers though. So kind of simply speaking, I think I came out of film school and there was a big need for producers and production managers and line producers and coordinators. Um, And I just tended to, I love that stuff too. (laughs) So I spend a lot of time kind of building up my experiences in that field. Yeah. What is it that makes a good producer? I think it's some of the best producers that I've worked with kind of have a combination of a, like really knowing production, like actually having been in the trenches and Mm -hmm. like been on the ground with crew and know, have gotten their hands dirty. Um, And at the same time, I think are able to take a step back and see the bigger picture and think in like terms of longer, um, like longer terms as well. Like think about how a project can exist in a market, whether that's like a short film or a feature or a piece of branded content. Like if a lot of the producers that I really admire can take a step back and not get so focused on the the micro details of every single day that they're like, you know, working on set, but also like think how is this going to fit in with the larger landscape of what's yeah. being produced out there. And I mean, there's so many different types of producers as well, right? Like you got people who are on the more strategy end of things and then other people who are more on the functional logistics executing. Yeah. Um, what What's your passion within that? Like, are you the the creative strategy side or, or do you like, you know, seeing a spreadsheet come in balanced to zero? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I I really start, I've done both. And I do both currently. Um, I have done, I love spreadsheets and budgets. Like I won't lie. (laughs) Like I'm very like, that's the type of like, I love like when the books are clean and tidy and wrap books and putting a nice sense of closure. Oh yeah. I love it. Like it's like a very like type a thing that I will like gladly admit. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, um, I think if I only line produced projects, like only went in and was like managing and building budgets every day, my soul would die a little bit. Like, I really, really love working with directors and like kind of figuring out what their creative vision is and like translating that to numbers, but like also thinking with them about story, you know, and thinking like, how, why are you telling this story? How can we get this story seen? Because like half of the battle, especially when you're in indie films is who's going to watch this? Um, How do we get eyes on this? And I love being in those early discussions with directors where you're kind of like putting cast together where you're trying to figure out exactly like what the film is going to feel like because at the end of the day like the spreadsheets and the numbers and all that that is all kind of a means to an end right like we want to tell stories as filmmakers and that's i think the same even when you're a producer especially when you're a producer what are some of the challenges of putting together a team because as a producer you're sort of responsible for i guess the casting side of the talent you know from the from the crew side of things and making sure that you have the best people there and that you've got the budget to see it through. For sure. I think, um, historically I, I've tended to work with and hire a lot of people that I either went to school with or very early on in my career was in the trenches with either on a student project or like one of my early, you know, um, endeavors in my career. Cause I feel like I, trusted them from a very like i people who are working for no money very early on you kind of see their true (laughs) colors shine through you know and if they're like a lot of the people that i tend to gravitate towards when i'm hiring people are people who 
share a similar interest in creating really quality content, like who aren't necessarily just in it for a paycheck, um, but who want to build something beautiful. And that goes from like directors to, you know, obviously directors and writers have an interest in what's beautiful, but like also like sound mixers, people who like take like really their craft seriously and want to produce quality work and geek out about it. Like those are the personalities that I tend to navigate towards. And I think when it comes to building a team, largely for me, it's kind of like starting with the knowns, starting with like, if a director approaches me, I will, and they need help finding a DP, perhaps I will recommend different DPs based on who would work best with that director. So there might be like three or four different DPs who are like amazing in terms of their skill, but they might click in a different way. So I think you have to kind of start, you have to pick what crew works well with the project. So it's a little about personality. It's not just oh, it's skill a level. lot about per- oh my gosh. I'm almost like honestly, like I'm almost to the point where I will pick somebody who has the right attitude over somebody who is years and years and years experienced. Yeah. Because especially when you're doing projects that are kind of quote unquote passion projects or indie films, like <laughs> you have to. You're like you are spending so much time with your crew, and you like there has to be like chemistry there what can go wrong if you have the wrong personality on set i think a lot of frustration Mm -hmm. you know i've been on a few sets where there are where the teams just don't click or um like i've been brought onto productions kind of in later stages of production where um people are motivated by different things and i think that's a big thing like whenever i'm talking to people or bringing them onto projects like i always like to just point blank ask them kind of what they're looking for in the project what their expectations are and kind of also like what their long-term goals are too because like at the end of the day you know everybody is maybe crewing on a project but they also want to be doing other things right so I love to kind of find out like if a PA is coming on the set like this was one example like I had a PA on one of my features who was amazing amazing PA and like he will not be peeing PAing for very much longer. But I just like got talking with him. I was like, what are your kind of interests beyond PAing? He's like, I'd really love to get into sound mixing. So it was like that conversation started halfway through production. And like by the end of production, I had like connected him with like one of my really good sound mixers, um, friends, and he's off now kind of like kind of interning with him and like learning yeah, the ropes there. And I love that stuff too. Cause I feel like I do know a lot of people who are, um, who would love to mentor people and who would love to bring people up in the industry. And so I like, I don't know, I really love that. <laughs> you know, like, Hey, point A, meet point B. It's great. Yeah. So you have um, produced and co-produced three feature films now. Yes. And what is it that you look for when you are deciding to go onto a feature film? Is it the people that you're working with or is it particularly like the story content as well? All three of the features that I produced have been so different. So I guess looking back, it's not <laughs> like I'm particularly attracted to one type of content um, or story. I think, I think of course, I really I consider the script. Like the script is extremely important. If I feel like the script is not in a place um, that is ready for production, I and and the director's not open to workshopping it to a place that it could get. I will probably pass on it because at the end of the day, there's so much that goes into making a feature yeah. that you have to really make sure that like it's going to be as quality as it possibly can be. So I think the getting a feel for the for the people is really key, like f- talking to the director and really kind of figuring out what his or her vision is and getting a feel for like if you want to spend 
the next five months of your life with this person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also if you trust them and if they have like, if they can make decisions and if they really like, you feel like they can stand behind their decisions, whether they're right or wrong. Cause like, I think I've, I've tended to work with produ- uh, directors who are kind of up and coming. Like it's either been like their first or second feature and it can be really challenging when you're working with a first time director, but at the same time, like, it's really cool to see how, like them be in like a moment of like, oh gosh, I have to make a decision and make the right decision. And sometimes they make the wrong decision or sometimes we'll like debrief at the end of the day and we're like, that did not go as planned. <laughs> but like, that's all part of the process. And that's all, it's like, I think you really just have to get in there and yeah. like trust that they're going to be um, able to stand on their own two feet and then support them in whatever way you possibly can. So Jane Wants a Boyfriend was your, your first feature. And then from there you went to Live Cargo and then Women Who Kill. What did you learn from Jane Wants a Boyfriend? And, and what progression have you seen in your own skills as a producer across three features now? Yeah, uh, Jane was my first feature. Not only the first feature that I ever produced, but the first feature I ever worked on at okay. all in any capacity. Wow. So when I went into it, a lot of it was... Um, the director will trusted me a lot and like he'd he'd seen the other things that i'd produced um that weren't features but like ha- were ambitious in many different ways and and yet at the same time i was like transparent with him i was like i've never produced a feature before so a lot of it was like researching um little details and just like trying to figure out like how the machine worked. Cause I didn't even know what questions to ask at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and calling a lot of friends who had produced features and just being like, you know, kind of humbling myself and saying like, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to plan as much as I possibly can and be as organized as I can. But like, what are the unknowns that I should be aware of? Yeah. So I think like being able to ask a lot of questions helped me. Um, and then I brought all of that knowledge into the second feature that I produced, um, Live, Live Cargo, which was really helpful because there was a whole other element of Live Cargo that I hadn't faced on the first feature, which was that we were shooting internationally. So I had shot internationally before. I shot my NYU thesis film in Istanbul um, when I was directing, but I had never produced a feature outside of the US. So I kind of took all of the basics that I'd learned on feature number one and then um, scaled it up. And in many ways, you you just have to get in there, I feel like, you know, like every experience built on the next. Um, by the time I got to Women Who Kill, um, I was also working with a fantastic producer um, named Alex Scharfman, who works at Parts and Labor. And it was amazing to work with another producer um, who had years and years and years of experience and features, because I feel like. I still learn a lot. You know, I still learn a lot by observing him. I still learn a lot by kind of observing other producers and how they work. And it was funny because I was almost just like, gosh, I would have loved to talk to you three years ago when I was gearing up for Jane. Um, But a lot of it is really being open to asking questions. Yeah. But at the same time, realizing that a certain point, you're going to have to just make a decision and you don't know the right answer, but you have to make a decision. What got you into filmmaking in the beginning? My dad got me into filmmaking. How so? So my dad was actually an ophthalmologist. He was an eye surgeon, but he, um, his hobby was video. So he was like always buying like cutting edge, like DV cam or like, (laughs) like first started with VHS and then got into DV cam and then got into mini DV tapes. 
and was like filmed everything growing up, like all of my plays, all of my soccer performance, like my soccer games, everything was is videotaped. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. I'm not kidding at home. <laughs> um, and he honestly, like I was doing a bunch of class projects in high school Um actually middle school, it was middle school, I was doing a bunch of class projects that would require either a presentation, or some sort of like visual lookbook or, or a video. So my dad knew how to edit. And he had the equipment like very basic equipment to shoot stuff. So I would work with him and he would help me kind of set me up with the basics. So I taught myself how to edit when I was 13. Okay. And then just all through high school, like all of my projects were just video projects. Um, and I would do a lot of video on the side too. Just like when I graduated from high school, I was uh, really bored between high school and college. So I was like, I'm going to write a feature and I'm going to shoot a feature. So <laughs> I, I didn't even like know like the proper script format. Um, I think I wrote it in like Microsoft Word and it's like maybe like a 40 page feature. It's not even a feature. It's just like something that we actually ended up like shooting. It was called Round Midnight. It was a film noir and we shot it. And it will live and die on mini DV tapes. Because, of course, the very next year I went to film school and they were like, sound 101, don't have AC when you're recording audio. And, of course, it was like the middle of the summer. We were in this like hotel room shooting this big shootout and the AC was just blasting. And I tried to do like ADR and this whole thing. I was just like, no, I have (laughs) to let this go. Yeah. (laughs) But just like doing little video projects. Like, honestly, like my dad um, would help me with a lot of that stuff. And he's the one that kind of like, uh, got me into it. Yeah. And then you went on to your NYU grad film was actually a tribute to him. Can you tell me about that and, and his involvement in that film? Yeah. So my dad was diagnosed with ALS when I was a sophomore in college. And he, I mean, a lot of like my time away from um, home was, I was just like affected by obviously my dad being very ill and you know, for those who don't know what ALS is, it's a muscular degenerative disease where essentially your motor neurons die. So mm-hmm. in my father's case, it kind of started in his leg um, where he had a bit of a limp. And then basically your mobility is extremely limited um, over time. So you end up kind of the ultimately losing the ability to move, to breathe, to kind of s- swallow or speak. Um, and so you know, obviously this was affecting a lot of like my work and a lot of the th- like things I was thinking about because I was here in New York. My dad was back in Colorado and my mom was taking care of him. So um, somehow it creeped into my writing and um, <laughs> I ended up writing a film. It was a short film. It was originally set in Vietnam because I'd gone to Vietnam with the Tisch Scholars program and kind of was just so kind of curious about how somebody in another country could and would deal with this illness. Because like here, you know, we have a lot of like wheelchairs and ramps and this, you know, the cities are generally very accessible and like supportive of, of those who are handicapped. And I was in certain situations where it was like, not only are there no ramps or wheelchairs, there's just like, this is a cobblestone street. Like how to, how do people actually, um, you know, survive? So that kind of, I wrote a film about a, a woman whose father had Lou Gehrig's disease. And over time, um, I changed the location to Turkey cause I was taking a, uh, a class at NYU called Topics in Turkish Culture, kind of studying like the history and the politics of the place. I had a particular interest in Turkey because I have Armenian ancestry that came out okay. of Konya. So I had this moment, honestly, where I was like sitting there and realized 
I'm already studying Turkey at the end of this course. I'm going to Turkey for 10 days. I have a personal connection to this place and I'm writing this film that I'm, you know, currently planning to shoot in Vietnam, but it makes a lot more sense to kind of set it in this place that I have Mm. ancestry come out of. And also, um, thematically it made a lot of sense because the main character is kind of struggling between these Western and Eastern ideals. And, um, Istanbul is the only city in the world that bridges two continents. So for many different reasons, I decided to shoot my thesis film in Turkey. And I think that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Cause I like, I've never had an internship. Um, you know, every summer I was kind of going home and spending time with my dad, but this was like, my crash course in production and in kind of finding my own voice as a director and honestly like challenging myself as a producer too like (laughs) going over the i like i didn't speak the language yeah i like had again had to ask a ton of different questions to a ton of different people um starting with a producer who'd come in uh to our class and just was talking about turkish cinema i was like i need to discuss something with you (laughs) um but the film is a 20-minute film called merhaba which means hello in turkish And it's about a woman, a Turkish woman whose father has Lou Gehrig's disease. And she uh, lives in New York, but goes back to Istanbul to uh, when she finds out and essentially at the end of the film has to decide whether or not she's going to stay in Istanbul or go back to her life in New York. So very closely related to my own life. Um, So having made that film, what bearing did that? the production of that film have on your relationship with your father? Did it make you sort of think through things or reflect on things with him? You know, I think I never like to look at films as like a form of therapy, but I think in this case it was because it allowed me, um, it was a platform for me to kind of discuss what was happening at home. Um, ALS is an awful disease and uh, it allowed me to kind of share with the people I was at school with, share what was going on in my life and for them to have an actual real understanding because when we were you know in turkey um, i brought eight crew members over from nyu and then the rest of the crew was from turkey but one of the scenes we shot in an actual um uh als at the als association in istanbul and they were like i knew all of them from like my research trips and going over there and they were super supportive and excited to be involved in the film but like it's a very it's hard to see people who are that ill especially if you're not used to it and you're like, Oh, what do I do? And like, I, yeah. so I brought my whole film crew into this situation. And in many ways it was, I could tell it was emotional for them, but at the same time there was this level of empathy that came out of the project with all of the crew there um, because they were able to be part of the story and in, in it's telling. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, and in terms of my relationship with my dad, like he was all about it. Like my dad, <laughs> my dad um, who's unfortunately since passed away was like, so excited about the film, extremely flattered. Like I was very nervous at first to ask him if I could make this project. Um, But he could not have been more supportive. And my mom too was also very open to it and very like understanding that it was a story I wanted to tell. And like we threw a fundraiser in Colorado and like my dad would like send email. I would like send him emails like whenever I could when we were shooting in Turkey. And he was just like, yeah, he was really, I think it was very, uh, it was a good way for our family to also talk about it and like for it to be yeah. out there. And I'm like, if anybody wants to know kind of a little snippet of what ALS is like, watch my thesis film, you know? Right. It gives you something to center the discussion around. Yeah. Is that right? And it was distanced enough that it was not me, but like, yeah. you know, it's, it's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Cool. And then from there, you've gone on to the sort of commercial side of producing as well. I feel like for for many producers, or maybe this is not true in the in the in the indie scene, but you can explain this to me. Is there a lot of producing work outside of producing an indie feature film that you need to you know keep the the finances going? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you know it's challenging because you. As a filmmaker, especially as a filmmaker living in New York, um, it's expensive to live here. And it's a constant balance of, for me, and I can only really speak about my own experiences, but for me, I've always kind of had to balance um, comfort with challenging myself. And I've always kind of had this like internal motto that if I'm too comfortable, I need to change something because I think what can happen is you get out of school you're looking for a job you find a job you have a paycheck coming in it's a steady job perhaps but you you look back two or three years or five years 10 years 20 years and you haven't actually done what you want to do and told the stories that you want to do and that could be you coming out and like being yeah, I mean, in any different field, it could be you doing it a full-time job or it could be you just crewing like on a bunch of other projects as a freelancer. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. And I was a freelancer for three years before I was at my current job. But it is a balance of finding those jobs that, you know, quote unquote, pay the bills. But for me, also like finding jobs that challenge me. And continue to develop your skill set, right? So- exactly. Tell me about Vox. You're you're at Vox at the moment. That obviously yeah. you know, pays your pays your rent, but I imagine also challenges you a lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm at Vox, uh, Vox Creative, and currently have been there since May. And it's like kind of it's one of those things where it's kind of a nice balance between yes, of course, it's like a full time job and a paycheck, but that's not why I'm there. Like I work there with a number of other people who um, I actually went to school with. Going back to like meeting the people, you know, working with the people you go to school with. Yeah. Um, but I work there and I'm kind of like helping in a lot of ways, like push a lot of video, like Vox Creative is doing some awesome video, but it's growing very rapidly. And so I'm working kind of side by side with their head of production, Greg Gordon, to kind of push that and kind of figure out like what new projects we can be doing and what new kind of frontiers we can be reaching and going past in terms of branded content. Because a lot of um, what Vox Creative does is branded content. And there's so many like weird nuances when you come at like when you're a filmmaker, like you can do feature films, you can do uh, branded content, you could do commercial films, you could do um, like a lot of different nuances within those as well. So like I'm at Vox doing branded content in my day to day. And that is a completely different that's so different from indie film. Because you are working with clients, you're working with agencies, and specifically at Vox, we're also working uh, to create content for our audiences too. So we have to make sure that we're really creating content that's truthful and our audiences will be interested in. Audiences meaning the different um, websites that are under the Vox Media umbrella. So um, we have to kind of report both to our clients as well as to our our audiences on all these different verticals. What do you do at Vox that gives you... The rush of excitement. Like, what's a what's a win for you at Vox? Well, I think, first of all, the people are really fun. And yeah. I think it's so key. Like, if you're stepping into any sort of full-time job, like, there should be um, 
a comfort level with your coworkers and like a feeling like you kind of are kindred spirits with the people that you're working with. And the people who work at Vox Creative are like extremely, they work very hard, but I also find myself laughing throughout every day. And that's so important. That's so important when you're at a full-time job, when you're at like on a gig, like to be able to laugh with the people that you work with is like therapy because you're spending so much time with them. (laughs) And so that's like one thing that just like immediately interested me. Plus I'm excited about where Vox is going and like where branded content can go to. There are a lot of really smart people who work there who have really good ideas. And it's just kind of, we're at this like point, it's like almost this tipping point where we are growing very rapidly and we're about to like I don't know it's uh, for me I'm not just interested in like the day-to-day each project that I'm producing um but I'm interested in kind of where Vox Creative is going as a whole and that's kind of why I've why I've decided to stick around with them that makes sense yeah so how do you balance that work with your own personal work I know you're you're writing on a feature you're writing your own feature that you plan to direct in the future so how do you balance those two? Sure. Before I started at Vox, I was writing 10 hours a week. So it was like five days a week, two hours every day, which for me was great. I had like desk space at the at the film center in Dumbo. And I was like sitting down and just like was very meticulous about like writing five days a week because I'm a person who likes structure. And then it was, a, it was a really big decision. Like when I was approached by Vox to come on, I, I, I got talking with Greg and I was very transparent with him. I was like, I have just gotten into a rhythm with my writing. I'm terrified of losing that rhythm because especially when you're a producer, especially when you love producing, it's kind of your biggest excuse for not writing your own stuff. Yeah. So I had to really balance it because I knew that if I were going to start at Vox, like I would really want to give my all to that as well. So for the past, I guess it was uh, like two, it was like two and a half months. I was still writing 10 hours a week and I was working full-time at Vox. And I have since, my job takes me like travel. I'm starting to travel a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of told myself I can cut back on the writing. Um, So now I do five hours a week, which is good. It's like, it's like a, it's something like I could do it on a Saturday. If God forbid I didn't get, you know, get any other writing done, I could sit down on a Saturday and write for five hours. Um, but I try and do it like one hour or two hours, like a few times a week. Just giving yourself permission to have a have an evening. Is that right? So like work, yeah. the work day comes to an end. I think it's important. And, you know, and I've also, you know, it's something that you have to vocalize too. Like when you're working at a full-time job, um, you have to remember your long-term goals too. And I have long-term goals within Vox. I also have just long-term goals as a director that I've had since I went to, to film school that will always be there and and... I want to definitely want to make my own feature and definitely want to be going out in the world and like continuing to tell narrative stories as well. So I think for for me, a big key factor has just been like honestly sitting down and and journaling. I do these. I don't know if you have heard of the book called The Artist's Way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. I discovered it like a few years ago. And one of the things that she kind of talks about is doing these these morning pages. So you like wake up every morning and you just write three pages freehand. And it doesn't have to be like, no, you know, worry, don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about what the content actually is. The idea is that you just kind of like have this brain dump onto the onto the page and you never look back on it. So I have like 20 composition notebooks over the past few years where I just wake up every morning and write my morning pages. And that kind of has, has helped to keep tabs on things too. Because again, 
you can get, as a filmmaker, you can just get caught up in the day, day-to-day mm-hmm. grind. And it's important to kind of keep, like, think about what you're actually doing because you can just get sucked into the... Yeah. Does it, it makes you more self-aware of your own voice and some of the things that you're trying to articulate through your work. Yeah. And I, and I think for, for me, I always, like, I tend to, I do a lot of self-reflection and I think it's very scary to do a lot of self-reflection, but it's also extremely important. Um, and kind of asking those hard questions of like, am I doing exactly what I want to be doing right now? Um, or why am I in this job if I hate it? Or why am I, you know, like, what am I learning? And for me, like, to be learning something is the most important. So I've been in many situations that have been extremely hard work, a lot of long hours, but they've been worth it as so long as I'm learning something new. So keeping the long-term goal in mind, what is the feature that you're working on and what's the next feature film that we can expect to see from you? For sure. So I am currently working on two two different features um, in different capacities. So the first is a film called The Grow, it's going to be with the same team that made Jane Wants a Boyfriend. And it is very different from Jane Wants a Boyfriend. The Grow is uh, about a marijuana grow in Maine and two brothers who own two separate grows. And one of them uh, is kind of floundering. And he hires a robber to rob his bro- brother's grow. And chaos ensues. Yeah. Um, and then the project that I'm working on is it's... You know, it's funny because I'm still in the middle of writing it, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I would pitch it. But the best way I can kind of pitch it is two siblings are survive an apocalypse in Colorado, and they venture to record the world's last album. They're two musicians and they're siblings. Um, but the film is deals a lot with loss and the purpose of art the role of art when you are in a chaotic situation or when you've lost someone or something or in this case the entire world um but it's still very much coming together like i i sit down and i write and i find myself going all the way around in a big like in a big loop and arriving like right back where i started and it feels like there's no progress made at all but that's also just the writing process okay um but yeah it's it's a film that's going to be comprised of half home videos (laughs) that's like the best way i can describe it right now (laughs) cool it sounds like a very personal work again much like your other film look forward to seeing it yeah no i'm I'm excited to make it too i think i have i have experience now going through three different features which is good and bad i know what to avoid but i'm also trying not to let that get in the way because i also know how hard it is so for me it's part of it will be really partnering with a really strong producer because yep. um, I don't want to be the only producer on it. I can't. Yeah. Um, and that's, I don't want to have all of the control. I'm not going to be managing the budget <laughs> of the film that I'm acting in. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was fascinating to chat with you today and I was looking forward to getting your next films onto the reformery series. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> all right. Bye. And that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. At Refilmery, we believe that everyone has the ability to tell their own story. That's why we've created this monthly series of film screenings, networking events, parties, and video production workshops in New York to help connect you with the people and the ideas that you need to bring your own story to life. So visit refilmery.com series to join our mailing list and we'll keep you up to date on our events. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, you can help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. 
Get them to subscribe by searching Refilmery in iTunes or Google. Today's show was produced by the Refilmery team. A shout out to Francesca Rimi, Lauren Sagnella, Paul Doust, Inan Chen, and Gabrielle Chang. Theme music was by Julian Bell. My name's David, and I'll be back next week with more insights into the life of a filmmaker. Oh, 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 o